Uh, get started. You remember how we do it? Intro. We do a little bumper. Talk about you know the show real quick. Have a few comments. Say we'll be right back, and then we'll come to this screen and introduce you. And then if you hear the music fading in about halfway through, that means we're going to kind of taper off and go to a commercial. Okay. All right. Here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. <clears throat> Hosts and guests on Patriots with Grit do not necessarily reflect those of Patriots with Grit LLC, its founders, and owners. Get ready for truth bombs and guidance from conservative leaders and entrepreneurs from God-fearing, freedom-loving, truth-telling, patriotic Americans. Welcome to Patriots with Grit. Now let's jump into today's episode with your host, Darren Ross. You know, Al Gore recently just made a statement, Randy, that the stakes are so high, we don't have a lot of time on this. Oh, gosh, I'm terrified. Uh, We're terrified. We're scared to death. And this week, I believe they started the uh, climate uh, summit over in Dubai. And I was curious when he said that. I was like, how did his electric plane get there? I I wonder how long it took him to get there. uh, Yeah, a long extension cord. So uh, we have an awesome guest today. It's not Al Gore, but it's Steve Gore-Hum. And uh, he's the author of Green Breakdown. He's been on our show before. We're going to come back today, talk about some ins and outs of climate science. We're going to be right back today with our awesome guest, Steve Gorham. All right, 120. 120. All right, we ready? Steve Gorham, thank you for coming back here and uh, being an awesome guest here on our show at Patriots of the Grit. We had you on here a few weeks ago, and uh, we wanted to get back on for part two and talk about the science behind all this climate stuff that's going on here all over the the world, because it's... uh, I saw something, too, Randy, just this past week in, uh, I believe it was at a theater in London. This guy just interrupted the whole presentation in the middle of this uh, this this uh, play or this drama or whatever. And he's like, we've got to stop. It's an emergency. It's going to destroy the planet. And he just he just decimated this entire theatrical performance. with. And then there were a whole bunch of activists. They had to get two or three of them uh, up there and create chaos during the whole thing. And they had to escort them out with security. But these people are off their rockers. They're nuts. But Steve, tell us a little bit about what's uh, what do we see in here. I know the, uh, the, climate, the UN Climate Conference started this week. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the Climate Conference, just uh, as a quick summary. Yeah, uh, great to uh, join you, uh, Darren and Randy. Yeah, we have uh, COP28 going on, the 28th Conference of the Parties. Uh, and they've been doing these every every year since about 1995. And uh, so we have all kinds of dig- dignitaries that are attending. We have uh, King Charles III. We have uh, billionaire Bill Gates, uh, climate envoy John Kerry. Uh, we have uh, Fatah Birol, the executive director of the International Energy Agency. And they're part of something like 70,000 people that have uh, flown to Dubai uh, to talk about uh, how they need to uh, stop uh, the use of coal, oil, and natural gas uh, so that we can save the planet from warming. So, I mean, that's more than that's about as many people that go to a Chiefs game, Randy. Well, I mean, and that's the, a whole stadium full of people that are just off their rockers and just uh, have been brainwashed. The thing I'm thinking about is it is the hypocritical conference. You know, yes. they're going to eat their meat and they're going to go in and fly their jets in there. And I think you brought up, uh, I don't know if you got a slide on this or not, but you brought up something in, in our pre-show or notes that they are going to produce so many, what is it, tons of carbon dioxide? Yeah, I don't have that number, but this is literally the biggest carbon dioxide emitting event of the year. <laughs> 70,000 people are flying in on private and public jets, and then they're all going to get into limousines 
or uh, taxis, and they go to the go to the conference. Some will get on electric vehicles, but uh, those get 80% of electricity from natural gas in the UAE. And and it is just crazy. And every one of these attendees has a cell phone, which is made from uh, plastic from oil and natural gas. They're all wearing suits, ties, shoes, and clothing, underwear that are composed of synthetic fibers from hydrocarbons. They're going to dine on food that's produced by farms that use synthetic nitrogen fertilizer, which comes from ammonia, which is produced by natural gas. And and on and on and on. You well, know, don't it, forget, it after they eat, they'll all have flatulence. That's right. Okay, they'll have be yeah, they'll be adding to the methane out there too. Well, they want so, to get rid of the cows. I say we just get rid of these people and be done, don't you, Randy? <laughs> yeah. But, but but just to talk about some of the crazy things, uh, our climate envoy John Kerry said that we ought to get rid of all the coal plants and we shouldn't be building any new ones. So you know, we have a coal provides a coal plants provide thirty five percent of the electricity of the world. There are 4,000 coal-fired power plants. We're building another 1,000 across the world or either building or in planning. And yet we have an electricity, 100 million people that don't have access to electricity. There are literally hundreds of hospitals that don't have electricity. Can you imagine? No air conditioning, no, no surgery electricity. And we have another 2 billion people that have blackouts or brownouts every single day. So about a third of the world's people uh, don't have electricity and mr Kerry wants to get rid of all the coal plants you know it's clear that he doesn't care about whether the developing nations have electricity or not well okay so i'm trying to figure out there is another agenda besides this and i can't figure out what it truly is everything usually is based on money but what are they trying to do well, that's a big part of that, I think. But, you know, I tend to think that the uh, the climatists, as I call them, the people, it's an ideology, climatism, and both um, uh, former President Trump and uh, candidate Ramaswamy are using the term climatism now. But I think most of these people believe this stuff. Al Gore has been environmentalist in the 1970s. And I think John Kerry thinks that, that we're destroying the world if we don't solve this stuff. And, and ideology can be powerful. Uh, but the facts don't support what they what they say. If you look at, at climate science, uh, it, it's really not uh, the situation that we ought to be concerned about. Well, and, and I'm concerned, too. You said that seven, what, 70 some thousand go to this COP uh, conference. Yeah. Does that include anybody on the logical side, engineers, meteorologists, climatologists, whatever they are? Yeah, there are some. There are some skeptics there. There's also a, a big bunch from the oil industry, which they don't like. Right, right. But uh, you know, it's basically been a pointless conference. If you look at it, the the rise in atmospheric carbon dioxide has been going on since the 1950s when we've had modern measurements. It continues to rise, and we've talked about how that's not really a big deal. But uh, the UN conferences have done nothing to slow that. Uh, the world energy consumption has tripled since 1965. It's been accelerating since the year 2000. And the world has spent uh, about $5 trillion in the last two decades on renewables, built 300,000 wind turbine towers across the nation. The... But we're still getting the same amount of energy, about 81% from coal, oil, and gas that we got in 1999. So it's clear these conferences are pointless. Uh, and they're just a waste of everybody's time and money. They're not ha really having any effect. Well, the, the one thing that I see is if they start pushing this stuff, one of the things they can 
do is through their narrative talk about you know crop reduction, um, just talk about different things that could control our food source and and off of yep. all springing off of this is all kinds of different control that they can yeah they absolutely can do. you they, they, there's a lot of people using the fear of man-made warming to control all sorts of things uh, what cars you can buy what uh, appliances you can have in your house uh, they one of the resolutions at the conference was that everybody's got to eat less meat the united nations want people to eat bugs i mean there's a lot of things that that people are pushing they want people to move into the cities use mass transit get rid of the suburbs all that kind of thing so uh there are there are a lot of people that are trying to use the fear of man-made warming to to get all sorts of things accomplished and and those are mostly negative for society well speaking of man-made warming we have two exhibits here on the screen and for those of you just listening on the podcast right. you should jump over and uh, and watch this video because there are a lot of good slides here that steve provided one of them says uh july 28 2023 from fortune uh magazine July could be the hottest month in 120,000 years. I didn't know we've been around 120,000 years. Hey, where's those uh, climatologists in uh, 120,000 years ago? Exactly. And and The Guardian on July 27, 2023 said, the era of global boiling has arrived, says UN chief. These are typical things that are are in the media. Scientists came up with a study, published it this summer, hottest month in 120,000 years, and it was run in uh, NPR and... uh, 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 CNN and all sorts of publications, it really wasn't challenged, but but this is flat out wrong. I mean, there's huge amount of evidence that uh, temperatures were warmer in the past. Uh, for example, the, the we've had we've had about and by the way the 120,000 years we've only had thermometers around for about 140 years. <laughs> that's what I was <laughs> getting at. Yeah. Well, that's about like another uh, what twelve times longer that are what twelve thousand times whatever it is. I mean, yeah, I'm not well, sharp on my math today. But, but. Now, scientists can, can we've had about one degree rise, one degree Celsius since 1880, but there are things called proxies, and the proxies move. Uh, they they react the same way chemically as temperature does, and these are things like uh, tree rings, um, the ratio of uh, oxygen 16 and oxygen 18 isotopes in ice. Uh, in uh, plankton shells, those sorts of things. So there are proxies people do use that to go back in history. And those show that uh, we've had warmer times in the past. About a thousand years ago when the Vikings settled southwest Greenland, uh, they had trees in their colony that were 20 feet high. And today there's only scrub grasses on that site. It was naturally warmer a thousand years ago than today. We had a Roman warm period when the Romans conquered the Mediterranean in those short skirts. And they were... Uh, they were growing uh, olive. They were growing grapes in England for wine at that time, and uh, growing olives in Germany. But we've had all these warm periods, and many of them were, were multi-centuries warm than it warmer than it is today. And just to give you an example, the uh, there's a glacier called the Mendenhall Glacier up by Juneau, southeast Alaska, and it's been receding for more than a century, and. Uh, the the climate alarmists were putting up pictures about the the old glacier and the new one and showing how it receded have to be due to our industry. But about eight years ago, scientists from Southeast Alaska University went down inside that glacier, inside ice caves that were under it. And what did they find? If you look closely here, you might be able to see a tree stump there. They found all these tree stumps with a root still in the ground, uh, many of them, not just one, and they radiocarbon dated them to be a thousand years old. So what we've got today, where we have a glacier today, a thousand years ago, we had a forest in this location. 
indicating that it was warmer a thousand years ago than today. And this is just one of, of many, many items of, uh, of data that shows it was, it was warmer in the past than it is today. Nevertheless, the United Nations, everybody else is out there screaming about how this is uh, terribly warm and, and it's, it's going to destroy our society. Well, Steve, aren't we seeing a huge increase of, uh, uh, you know, heat wave deaths from all this uh, warming that's taking place here in the last few years? Yeah, that's that's a bunch of nonsense. Too. Okay, I wanted to make sure well, on that. Former uh, Vice President Hillary Clinton actually came out with that just uh, just um, uh, the, earlier this week. She's learned something from COVID nineteen. If you remember, in COVID nineteen, you could get the deaths every day, and they would publish them day after day after day. Global deaths. Well, she wants to start doing that with the climate. Uh, <laughs> Except, except there's a there's a few little flies in the ointment, and I like to ask audiences. <laughs> I ask audiences when I, I present, okay, which is which is uh, worse for people, cold weather or warm weather? And usually the audience gets it right. Cold weather's worse. If you look at the uh, flu season, our flu season is about uh, uh, October to March in the northern hemisphere, and southern hemisphere it's about June to August during their cold months. If you look at every country in the world, I haven't checked them all, but I've checked more than 15, uh, we had more COVID cases in the cold months than in the warm months. And there are many, many studies. This chart here shows that uh, takes two, a guy by the name of Falagas looked at 10 different countries in the northern southern hemisphere, and he noted in every case there are more deaths during the cold months. Uh, uh, in the case of Australia, July to September during their southern winter. In the case of Sweden, it's a January, February, and December. And so more people die during the cold months. And oh, by the way, where do people retire in the United States? They all require, retire to North Dakota, right? Nova Scotia and Alaska. No. <laughs> they go to Florida, Texas, and Arizona. But aren't they foolish? Our own U.S. government says that warm climates are dangerous. I mean, it's it's beyond any kind of common sense. Well, speaking of the U.S. government, Steve, in your personal opinion, what percent of all this climate, global warming nonsense do you think is being driven and, and just forced down people's throats and believed by people uh, from the media, just the media itself? Yeah, the media has a lot of, a lot of it is the media, and the media has a, a bias as well. Uh, if you say, Gee, our temperatures are really moderate. Not much is going on. Oh, who's going to watch? Nobody's going to read that article. But <laughs> if you say this is the, the hottest or the coldest it's been in X years, and we got people dying and all this, I mean, uh, weather alarm is a tremendous thing for the media. And we used to track hurricanes only when they came ashore. Now we track them in the mid-Atlantic where they don't affect anybody. And we even start naming, uh, you know, thunderstorms and naming tornadoes and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm. Uh, it, it's become a big media circus, this whole thing, and that's just another area where we have kind of a bias toward uh, the fear of climatism. Well, going back to this article, it could be the hottest month in 120,000 years. That yeah. right there tells me they fabricated the whole thing. There's nothing to corroborate that there's anything factual in this. Well, I haven't read the study. I do think some scientist came up with a study, and he, he looked at some proxies, and he came to this conclusion but I could show him, you know, hundreds of peer-reviewed papers that say the medieval warm period was warmer than today. Matter of fact, you can go to a, a website called CO2Science.org. Uh, a guy by the name of Craig Idso, a climate scientist, has 
hundreds of peer-reviewed papers on there, and uh, they show, most of the papers show it was warmer then than it is today. So we're not in particularly warm times. Well, and when you think about, think about it, Darren, at least around here, the media is so dramatic about weather conditions. Oh, Okay, so the snow is starting to come down. Look, we can take a dime, and it is, you know, it's about as deep as a dime. And you go to the grocery store, and you can barely get in because people are trying to get their bread and milk. I mean, Randy, we had a snow here in Missouri about oh, a week and a half ago, yeah. and Randy's like, hey, have you been to Price Chopper lately? And I said, no, I really don't try. I try not to go to Price Chopper. <laughs> I don't have to. He's like, it's absolutely insane. The people there, you know, with a little sprinkling, they just, you'd think it's Black Friday. <laughs> Well, again, we've had a gentle warming, about a degree in 140 years, about what you get every uh, day between 9 and 10 in the morning. But that is not abnormal in any way, and uh, uh, we shouldn't be doing handsprings over it. Steve, we mentioned before you came on the air today, uh, while we're on the topic of snow, tell our viewers and our audience a little bit about the uh, the, the research and the website or the uh, resource that they can go to actually track snow. I think it says something about uh, Rutgers University has a... Uh, has a resource for this. Yeah, we have another big misconception that snow is disappearing. Matter, we have, matter of fact, we have uh, uh, many folks, counties and cities in the state of Colorado that are suing the oil companies because the snow is disappearing and it's it's going to uh, hurt the ski, uh, ski season. By the way, last year they had they had an abundance of snow. Matter of fact, there, in, in Salt Lake City, there was 650 feet, not inches, but 650 feet fell in the mountains <laughs> last year wow. but there's a site called the rutgers university global snow lab and if you go there they show graphs of what they call snow extent which is the amount of land that is covered and this is data from satellites uh in the fall and the winter and the spring and the interesting thing in the fall and the winter is that global snow extent has been rising not only in north america not only in in northern europe and in russia but in the whole Northern hemisphere has been rising for the last 30 or 40 years. In the spring, it has been declining, I'll grant you that, but there, there really is no evidence that despite the, the gentle warming we've had, that snow is going away. Well, Steve, in your opinion, do you think we need to reduce carbon pollution? Well, that's another thing. A, we shouldn't be calling it pollution and we shouldn't be calling it carbon. <laughs> it's carbon dioxide Carbon dioxide is not like carbon. It's it's uh, carbon dioxide is an odorless, invisible, uh, harmless gas. It doesn't cause smoke or smog. Uh, calling uh, carbon dioxide carbon carbon is like uh, ca calling salt chlorine. Uh, they're completely different substances. And not only that, uh, CO two is is uh, is green. What I like to do is I ask audiences uh, what what do cannabis growers know that the EPA apparently doesn't know. And the answer is that CO2 is green. Any Anybody growing marijuana who's worth his or her salt is pumping carbon dioxide into their greenhouse to make their crop grow bigger and faster. And what you see here is a graph of the, the world's top seven food crops, which all grow between 20 and 65% bigger with higher levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide. Plants get bigger fruits, they get bigger vegetables, they get thicker tree trunks. They get bigger root systems. They're more resistant to drought. Literally, if there's one compound we could put in the biosphere that is great for the environment, carbon dioxide is that compound. Yet today we have every university, every company counting their, 
carbon footprint, as they call it, very, very foolish stuff. Well, and I told you that if you fly now, when you make your reservation, it'll say this flight produces 600 pounds of yep. carbon. And doesn't well, it give you a chance to, 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 to change your flight options to, to where you Oh, you, you can, can get on one flight. that's a few, you know, maybe 50 50 pounds less. So if, if you choose well, to go that route, do you get do you get uh, a benefit from that or not? They uh, all right. do. But all you don't get a benefit. You just get that. Places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Steve, I got to take <laughs> a break here. Hold hey, on. Hey. Okay, where are we at? What time? Uh, I want to pause it. Let me unpause this. You got that time wrote down, right? Mm-hmm. All right. We are recording. All right, so Steve, one of the things that you know we've talked about and maybe mentioned last time is we've had our um, old Kansas City meteorologist, uh, now senator, friend on, and he talked about this carbon dioxide. You know, and what you just said is yep. beneficial to the growth of our plants. So I see two things: if they can stop the carbon dioxide, they can kill off our crops and our food supply. The second thing is the uh, the carbon dioxide. Uh, I forgot my thought. <laughs> my gosh, you're <laughs> Randy, Randy, Randy. What was my well, other they, thought? They can't, they can't really. Let me talk. They can't really stop the carbon dioxide. If if you break down the greenhouse effect, and the greenhouse effect, sunlight comes into our atmosphere. What isn't reflected by clouds is absorbed by the surface of the Earth. And then the Earth, like any warm body, gives invisible radiation off, lower uh, energy infrared. And much of that, most of that is captured by greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. But when you break down the greenhouse effect, the first thing you learn is that uh, carbon dioxide is not the biggest greenhouse gas, neither is methane, uh, but water vapor is Earth's dominant greenhouse gas. Uh, Somewhere between 70 and 90% of Earth's greenhouse effect is caused by water vapor and clouds. So if we say three quarters of the greenhouse effect is caused by water vapor and clouds, then the last quarter is mostly, the last quarter of the effect is mostly due to carbon dioxide and some methane and other gases. But then when you look at at the last quarter and you say, well, how much is due to our industry of that carbon dioxide and that methane? And it's actually very, very small because uh, the oceans hold 50 times as much carbon dioxide dissolved as all of Earth's indus- as as uh, as the atmosphere. 50 times as much as the atmosphere, and the oceans are always releasing CO2 and absorbing it. When plants die, they absorb they release carbon dioxide, and when they grow, they absorb carbon dioxide. So every day, nature puts 20 times as much carbon dioxide as all of our industries into the air and removes about the same amount. So if we were to completely shut off that one or two percent of the greenhouse effect that comes from our industries, we'd still have 98 percent of it out there that is due to nature. Uh, so even if you know, even if we shut off all the CO2, nature is driving the climate and nature is driving the carbon dioxide that is in the atmosphere, not man-made emissions. Well, Steve, we're going to take a quick break here and hear from one of our partners, but I want to come back. I want to dig a little bit more into the greenhouse effect because it's something that I don't really know anything about. I'd like to learn a little bit more about it, and mm-hmm. I know Randy would too. But And then I'd also okay. like to touch on, Steve, what can people do going forward to where they're not just always, you know, uh, so 
bombarded with all the the information from all facets of media, social media, print media, TV media, to where they can be actually educated and taught the right way from someone like you, who is a an expert in in climate science and not just someone that's on this uh, on this green agenda. So we're going to be right back to talk to Steve Gorham. Okay, we're at. Oops, I turned it back. Twenty four ten. Twenty four ten. And we've got Steve. We've got two slides uh, left that talk about renewable okay. spending, two thousand twenty four to twenty one. That shows the coal oil or the coal gas and oil shares. And then the last yeah. slide before your book is, uh, it is solar or wind, solar, and, and energy mountain, and it shows how much of the world and how little of the the solar and wind. Yeah. So I'd like to t- touch on those before we close out. So I'll, I'll let you do some of those if you want. Okay, but let's we'll get through the greenhouse effect here. So we are going one, two, three. Steve, tell us a little bit more. I want to learn more about the the whole greenhouse effect because I am uh, totally not even a I'm less than a beginner on that. So mm-hmm. explain that to us and, and school our viewers and our audience if you would please. Okay, so the. Uh the folks who are climate alarmists say that we're putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and we're enhancing uh, Earth's greenhouse effect, and that is causing the planet to warm. And to some extent, they're a little bit right. So the greenhouse effect occurs. Uh, the sunlight enters our atmosphere. What isn't reflected by clouds comes down and is absorbed by the surface of the Earth. And then the Earth, like any warm body, gives off lower energy infrared radiation. And it's invisible, but it would normally just go straight out into space, except that it runs into greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, causes their molecules to vibrate, and it's absorbed. And then those gases re-radiate that energy, and that does tend to warm the surface of the Earth. If we didn't have greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, we'd be about uh, 30 degrees cooler on the surface of the Earth. We are about 58 degrees Fahrenheit. I think we'd be down about 15. Um, but when you so when you but when you break down the greenhouse effect, you learn a number of things. The first thing is that carbon dioxide is not Earth's most important greenhouse gas. Neither is methane. Earth's dominant greenhouse gas is water vapor. A scientist estimate that somewhere between seventy and ninety percent of the greenhouse effect, which is absorbing the outgoing radiation, is caused by water vapor and clouds. So if we're conservative and we say three quarters of the effect due to water vapor and clouds. That means of the last quarter, most of that is carbon dioxide, most of the greenhouse effect in that last quarter, or methane and other gases. But then we need to say, well, how much of of that carbon dioxide and methane effect is due to our industry? Because the greenhouse effect is overwhelmingly a natural effect. The oceans hold 50 times as much carbon dioxide dissolved naturally as the atmosphere as is in the atmosphere and the oceans are always releasing carbon dioxide and absorbing it when plants die they release carbon dioxide when they grow carbon dioxide is absorbed and so you have this tremendous natural exchange going on all the time and it turns out that every day nature puts 20 times as much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere as all of earth's industries and removes about the same amount So when you roll all that together, you find out that humans are only impacting about one or two percent, one or two parts per 100 of Earth's greenhouse effect. Very, very small. That 
means if we completely eliminate all industrial emissions, we might not be able to measure the change in global temperatures. And you never hear this kind of stuff in the press. Everybody says, well, we're putting CO2 in the atmosphere, we're causing it to warm with the greenhouse effect, and it's a catastrophe, but it isn't. It's, it's a very, very small part of what's going on. Is there any chance that we could actually be depleting our uh, CO2 as it is? Because our meteorologist friends said that we actually don't have the uh, parts per million that we need for nature at this point. Well, yes, some scientists have said that. Um, uh, Will Happer is an advisor of mine. He's a, a, a atmospheric scientist uh, from uh, Princeton, and he has pointed out that we are in a low period of, of atmospheric carbon dioxide. There's about 400 parts per million in the atmosphere. That means four of every 10,000 molecules. If you think about a basketball arena, you can get an idea, four of every 10,000 people. It's very small, and plants need a minimum of about 250 parts uh, per million. So we're not too far above that. And if you look at Earth's distance, distant past, geologists will tell you that we had many times as much carbon dioxide, two, three, four thousand parts per million uh, in the past. And that was even during ice ages. So, uh, and by the way, uh, since we've had this rise over the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, we've had more and more plant growth across the world. We have uh, uh, areas that are now starting to fill in near deserts and other things because there's more foliage based on this higher level of atmospheric carbon dioxide. All in all, a very good thing. Hmm. Well, Steve, we've talked a little bit about what impact the media plays. I'd like to touch base on, in your personal opinion, what? because uh, a lot of these activists we see and a lot of this, uh, you know, protests and all, it seems like they're younger kids. What What impact is being had by universities schools, you know, even elementary and public schools, what, what kind of uh, narrative are they pushing to, uh, to our younger generation? Well, most schools are teaching dangerous global warming. Uh, for example, I, I uh, did kind of an online telethon with a bunch of students, college students in, in Chicago a few years ago. And uh, I explained to them that uh, climate is overwhelmingly natural. And afterwards, we read the comments from the kids. And one guy actually said, this is like finding out there's no, there's no Santa Claus. In all of my education, uh, for more than 10 years, I heard that humans were causing climate change. I never thought that, that climate could be changing naturally. I mean, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is, this is what uh, the kids are getting nowadays. And I would recommend to people my second book, The Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism. <laughs> from that 1960s movie. Uh, it's got polar bears behind the windshield of a car, but it will, it will uh, counteract a lot of stuff that, that kids are getting in school. So for anybody about eighth grade and up, it's a color paperback, very readable, but it'll give them all kinds of discussion, uh, both the science and the effects on energy and, and what's going on uh, in our society. Well, we've talked about you know, the, the push for the uh, renewable energy, the green agenda, uh, the yeah. new green deal. You know, what are, what are, I'm going to go to this slide about some of the costs. Um, yeah. Look at the, the coal, gas, and oil shares. Yeah, this is, uh, this is one of the reasons why these, these 28 annual COP conferences are just a waste of time. They've been doing these since 1995. 
And, if, and the world has spent uh, about $5 trillion in the last two decades to try and promote renewables. We built 300,000 wind turbines. Uh, but if you look at this cur this uh, black curve, it shows you that today we still have about 81% of uh, the world's energy that's being provided by coal, gas, and oil, the same as it was in 1999. So all of this spending, all of these COP conferences really aren't having any effect. And that's because coal, oil, and gas have tremendous power, tremendous energy density. They're the lowest cost form of energy. Uh, we just had... I just saw something from uh, the International Energy Agency. They're complaining about how coal, oil, and gas were, were uh, emitting 80% of the carbon dioxide. Well, yeah, that's because they're providing 80% of the energy of the world. So That's brilliant. <laughs> you want to get rid of all that carbon dioxide, guess what happens to all your energy? Oh, my God. Well, speaking, of, speaking of energy, Steve, are you seeing a decline in the you know, attraction to electric vehicles. It seems like I've read a few articles here in the last couple of weeks about some of the automakers are, are kind of rethinking their position and their stance on electric vehicles, and they're finding out that they're not selling near like they thought they were going to. They're wanting to uh, reduce production. Well, what are you seeing yeah. from the standpoint of, of automobiles and cars that are electric? Yeah, this year, well, first off, EVs have been penetrating world markets. Uh, last year, they about 13% of new vehicles sold were electric vehicles. And by the end of uh, 2022, we had about 2% of the vehicles on the roads in the world were electric. But this year, they've hit a speed bump. Uh, they're still growing, but EV inv inventories are up over 300%. There's very poor demand for EV pickup trucks. The pickup guys don't seem to want them. Uh, Ford Motor uh, has stated that they are losing forty dollars to $60,000 on every electric vehicle sold. They're going to lose $4.5 billion this year. Ford and GM have now rolled back their their goals to uh, go to all EVs in the next few years. Uh, another big issue is insurance. Um, uh, electric vehicles cost about 70% more to insure in the United States, and that's because if you have a collision and you damage the battery, you got to ch change the whole battery, $20,000. And in England, there are a number of companies now that are not insuring EVs, and it costs about 5,000 pounds for a year uh, to get an electric vehicle uh, insured. Uh, so, by the way, I'm not al against electric vehicles. I just don't think state and federal governments should be forcing people to buy them. I mean, let's let them develop and, and give people choice. If they want an EV, there are advantages for some. That's fine. But don't tell me I can't have a gasoline uh, pickup truck. Well, well, I, it, well, until they change the design of, you know, until they come up with a battery about yeah. this big that lasts yeah. for like a week, it's probably we're going to see this whole industry. I think we're going to see it dwindle away. We've got this spike of people wanting to jump on board, but I'm going to, I don't think they're going to enjoy it once they get it. Well, I have a neighbor early that uh, I, have, yeah. I have a neighbor that has a Tesla, and this was you know two or yeah. three years ago. He's uh, he said, "Hey, I want to take you riding my Tesla." And I thought, "Oh, this is cool. I'm going to ride an electric vehicle." And you know, it's a Tesla, and it looks so you know beautiful and so sleek and and pretty and. Yummy, and I got in that thing, and I was like, "Holy cow!" I I felt like I was in a rocket ship, and I, he was taking corners and uphills and downhills. They got power. They, they've got more power than I've ever seen. But then once I started yeah. digging into to the you know the the inner workings and the bowels and the and the purpose of these things, I'm like, ah, they're not for me, man. And I know our family's in agriculture, and I know I we get probably six to eight uh, agriculture publications on a monthly basis, and I'm amazed, Steve, at the number of articles monthly that are in these agriculture publications talking about promoting and touting 
you know, electric farm vehicles, whether it's, you know, they're wanting to do robots or trucks or even cars. And I I just can't see America's farmer getting away from that uh, John Deere green and that diesel smell. It just, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Well, I think it could happen over time. And, you know, if you drive short distance to work and you can charge overnight in your garage, it's probably a pretty good deal. But, uh, for example, my wife and I have two homes, one in Chicago, one in Virginia. It'd be a three-day trip for me to get there if I was driving an electric vehicle. They're not good in cold weather either. I met a guy speaking at a conference. His wife had a Tesla. They lived in Cleveland. Got down to 10 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter. They didn't have a heated garage, and literally they could not charge their vehicle. It Hmm. just wouldn't charge it. 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, there are a bunch of issues with these things. Uh, charging stations are also a big problem. You know, they, they've thought, well, these can be unattended, so you put them out there. Well, when it gets to be four or five at night in the winter and there's nobody around, is your wife gonna wanna sit there for a half hour? I mean, talk about talk about a hijack uh, opportunity. Oh or, my or gosh. The cables. I mean, there's just there's just a number of issues, and again, I think EVs are going to penetrate world markets. We're going to have a mix by 2050. I'm guessing we'll have something like 20 to 30 percent EVs by 2050, not 80, 90 percent like a lot of people are, are saying. And this is going to break down. They're just uh, uh, they're not going to be able to force these on on people. Well, with some That's of the laws of- that they're coming, yeah, with one of some of the laws that they're coming up with in California. You know, I've, I've had customers out there that said they had to get rid of a bunch of their trucks because they produced too much, uh, I guess, just too many, too much emissions. They had to change to a different type of diesel engine. Um, and then, you know, we've talked about all of this wind and solar, and you said, what, 85% comes from the, the fossil fuels, the oil and the, the gas. So you've got a great illustration here of the balance of the wind and solar compared to the rest of the uh the energy. Now, this is another thing too. Global energy has tripled since 1965, and the the energy consumption has actually accelerated since the year 2000. Uh, but when you put wind and solar on this graph, it's very very small. There there has there's only been one year in history when wind and solar has provided more energy in their growth than uh, than the demand, and that was during COVID 19. You see a little dip there in the world in the world up that notch in, in, in 2020. But every other year in history, uh, wind and solar has not, the additions of wind and solar have not been enough to even keep up with world energy demand, uh-huh. let alone replace our traditional energy sources. So they're a long, long way away from changing people. And by the way, this chart is another indication why uh, COP28 is, is just goofy. I mean, it, it's having no effect on, on uh, the hydrocarbon content and the growth of energy. Well, Steve, I know you've written several books. Your latest book is Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. Talk to us a little bit about that book, what people can expect in there, and also where they can go and get that. Yeah, so Green Breakdown is a complete discussion of the forced energy transition from power plants, home appliances, EVs, heavy industry, heavy transportation, um, and it... it uh, it's a fun book. It's a color paperback. Uh, there's a cartoon in front of every chapter, but there's still about a thousand references in it. Uh, they can get one from me at my website, Steve Gorham, G-O-R-E-H-A-M.com. I'll send them a signed copy. Or they can get it on Amazon, or there's ebooks available as well. But if you have a, a gas stove, you got a gasoline car, if you use electricity, you really ought to know 
what's in store for you and the battle going on. Educate yourself and go challenge your leaders and say, hey, you know, why do I, am I forced not to have a stove or a car? Uh, what's the reason? <laughs> Well, and I saw, you know, was it a year ago when we started hearing about, uh, about a year ago when they talked about the gas stove deal, we saw all these, face, these yeah. Facebook memes. I'm like, is this, this has got to be a joke. This has, this, this cannot be real. And sure enough, they're really wanting to push this, you know, no more gas stoves. It, it, I, well, I you guess. know, it was in January. Yeah, it was in January. They came out with a bunch of articles on that and said gas stoves are a health issue. But if you look at who, who wrote those articles, it wasn't the medical industry. It was the, the climate industry that was all saying gas stoves were unhealthy. And what they did was they would take a gas stove, they would turn on the stove in the oven, and they would wrap the kitchen in plastic because that's the only way they could get the emissions <laughs> levels high enough, high enough to violate EPA standards. If you don't wrap the kitchen in plastic, you don't get up there. So, uh, you know, it's another misguided thing. Um, and uh, people... People ought to have confidence that they're, you still need a carbon monoxide detector, but you ought to have confidence that your gas stove is, is good for you and not hurting your health. Well, let me, let me, let me contemplate this. If in California at the peak times they're having brownouts and everybody then converts to electric stoves at dinner time, is it going to have more demand on the system? Well, absolutely. And you know, when you have a blackout, it used to be your light bulbs went off. Now you won't be able to charge. You won't be able to run your car. You won't be able to heat your house with gas. You won't have anything. So you won't what be a able great idea! <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll convert everybody to electricity. And by the way, their grid is is very weak out there because they have all these intermittent renewables. They have shut down all their coal, all but one nuclear plant, and they've they've de decreased their natural gas plants. So they are ripe for for having all kinds of brownouts and blackouts. And so by the way. California, Green California now has the second highest electricity prices in the nation. They passed up New England in the last three years, and they're right behind Hawaii. They're 26 cents a kilowatt hour, and the national average is about 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Holy uh, cow. Missouri, by the, Missouri's very low, about 12 cents a kilowatt hour. So you guys are less than half the price of California. Yeah, and it's not, it's not pleasurable to have to pay what we're paying. I just, yep. I, I'm amazed. I'm, I, I am, I'm inspired. I think I'm going to take my four wheel drive Dodge Ram right now after the show, and I'm going to go to Sam's Club and get like 18 big boxes of Saran wrap and wrap my kitchen, Randy, and turn on our gas stove and check the emissions on that. I, I'm excited to see what we're, uh, my wife and I are giving off. Yeah, but you'll get. Will you come and help me wrap it? No, because you can, you're going to get lightheaded and take a oh, uh, take a I, long I think, nap. I might be convinced to a to a, a climatologist after we no. uh, or a climate. What'd you call it, Steve? A climate. Uh, 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 climatist. 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 Oh that my could be God. a t-shirt. Climatists. Yeah, you got to start using that language. And I said, um, Mr. Trump and Mr. Ramaswamy are using it. And it was, it was in the title of my first two books that were written a number of years ago, The Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism. And the other one was Climatism. Wow. Well, Steve, we always like to uh, leave our guests and our audience with one strong parting piece of advice from our guests like you. What would one action step be going forward for our viewers and our listeners on how to debunk the myth from the media on all this climate nonsense? Well, I would say read my books, and I think you got to educate yourself and, and educate your kids, counter what they're getting in, uh, in school, and challenge your leaders. Uh, you know, how much, how much uh, less strong are the storms going to be? How much less are the oceans going to rise? Nobody has an answer for that stuff. Uh, but they still want you to do all this green stuff with, with the with the vague hope that they're going to improve all that. And 
this is this is the closest thing to modern superstition that I know of. Well, and the thing is, they push this, and like you said, the the uh, utility costs are going up. So at the the cost of the people, I still think that there is no true green motive. I think it has to do a lot with trading money. You know, you go green, you get more people building windmills, so that money goes to those those industries, and you know, you get all of that. Now everybody's. You know, the, the EVs, now you get new EV car companies popping up. So the money gets pushed around oh, to the, the interests, let's put it. That's true. Yep. Steve, thank you so much for coming on here. We appreciate everything you're doing and and and, and spreading truth on this uh, on this topic. I, I wish there were more people like you that are bold enough and uh, willing to speak up and write books and uh, just debunk all this uh, craziness that we're being forced okay. to. In the, in the media and well, through higher education. So we appreciate it again. One more time, your website and the name of your book. Uh, Green Breakdown, and my old one is Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism, stevegorham.com. Thank you, Patriots. Great to join you. Appreciate it, guys. And thank you guys for watching. You know, i got to hurry out of here. i got to go to Sam's Club, and I've got to get those <laughs> uh, uh, that saran wrap to wrap my kitchen range. Uh, so I'm leaving. I'm going to leave you to do the outro tonight, and i got to get out of here and get that before it's all taken before Christmas. Get I'll out see of here. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching another exciting episode of Patriots with Grit. We want to keep you informed, so if you would, just go over to patriotswithgrit.com and give us your first name and your email so we can keep you up to date. Also, be sure to subscribe, like, and share so we can keep bringing you truth. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. See ya.